What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. You know, like the fact that that was an argument like significantly into the top 10, that wasn't even like the 10th pick. That was what, six or seven? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Miles had all that potential, uh, and it, it never played out because of injuries or circumstances or whatever. And so in, in that kind of comparison, Mo Pete was just a professional. He was just a, uh, I'm going to, you know, give you, you know exactly what you're going to get from me. I'm, he, he could be a perfect role player on a championship team. And so, you know, I think when you're drafting, you would probably take Darius Miles, but ultimately you probably would have gotten more value out of Mo Pete. Um, analytically, anything else that stands out? I mean, this is this is a bad draft. I mean, it's, it's so yeah. bad. We we couldn't get Mateen in there. Mateen had a nice, great college career, just not very good in the pros. I just, man, it. it... This is under the hood. Under the hood podcasts are available now on the all new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. <laughs> Glad that you're with us here on this Tuesday night on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We turn to my friend Jesse Rogers, who covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. And he joins me here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Jess. Good evening, Jay Hood. What's happening, pal? Oh, you know what's happening. No baseball. That's what's happening. But there, there's other things I want to talk to you about before we get into that. Uh, you know, Sosa and McGuire, the 30 for 30s taking place on, uh, on Sunday. I want to get your memories of covering Sosa as a producer uh, slash reporter. Uh, what do you remember most about Sammy as a player? Well, I remember the personality changing, not changing, but his, his persona changing from good player to superstar. It's kind of like we saw in the last dance of Michael Jordan. Really good college player, right? Um, debate whether he should be the number one overall pick. He's not, but then he turns out to be the greatest of all time. He you, there's a moment where his career elevates. Same thing with Sosa, and it happened obviously right around '98 there, where it was, you know, sort of the Cubs, and then there's Sammy Sosa, like the Bulls, and then there's Michael Jordan. So that that's what I saw. I mean, you know, if you if, if you take away some of the the, the crazy home run stats, he had a great arm. Um, he was a decent hitter before he hit all the home runs. Like, he was a good ball player, but once he started hitting the 60-plus homers, it, it changed everything, and he became a, a superstar. Yes, and so we go back to his, his roots with the Chicago White Sox as the Panther, over you know mm-hmm. overthrowing the cutoff man, skinny guy, you know, and just kind of a raw player to becoming, as you mentioned, a, a superstar. And the thing, again, it's still not clear from Tom Ricketts on what his, his major malfunction is with Sammy Sosa. I think you and I could figure it out. He thinks that Sammy should apologize for taking steroids, and I just think that they need to sit down and talk. It's one of the weirder storylines since I uh, started covering the Cubs. It's not like Ricketts was the owner there. It's not like Sosa did anything personally to him or his family. It's been a long time already. I I don't get it. And I'll even go a step further. Sometimes teams or owners or front office people or PR people will react to sort of the masses and what do they want. Well, no one's clamoring for him to apologize. I'm talking about Cub fans. Heck, nobody is in baseball, casual fans, anyone. No one is clamoring for him to apologize. 
in fact, it, it, I think the casual fan wouldn't even really, really remember. Did he apologize? Did he admit it? Did he not admit it? And, and frankly, would not care at this point. Um, I think the voters have said their, you know, had their say in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I you, you know, that was the one thing about the interview with Cap. I like, come on, Sammy, you know why you're not in the Hall of Fame. You know, <laughs> same reason McGuire's not in, and Pons and Clemens aren't in. So, mm-hmm. um, but but in terms of again, just waving across the stage like like Mike Fontenot does every every January, give me a break, give me a break. It makes no sense, and I think that's. I understand if Ricketts has some standards that he wants. So, so you know, uh, he's not hiring him to be a manager. You know, what's the difference? It's not like they investigate all these guys and are they great citizens and all this stuff when they come back to the convention. Who cares? It's walking across the stage and signing some autographs. So that, to me, is the issue. It's one thing if you're going to hire him in a prominent role. Here's a guy that's leading young men and blah, blah, blah. He cheated, possibly. But this is a guy that just wants to throw out the first pitch. Give me a break. I uh, I totally agree with you. You when you are an owner, you also have to be a businessman. Stop being a fan. Stop being some jilted fan that feels like oh Sammy didn't do it clean. Like you have to know what good business is. You know who would have had him back at Wrigley Field, McDonough. He would have had him back at Wrigley Field and make and made more money off of Sosa in retirement. McDonough had a parade. Let's face it. And think about what you just said. Uh, it's time for Tom Ricketts to not be a fan and be a business. Isn't it usually the opposite for most owners? We're asking them to put down their 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 checkbook and wallet and and and, their, and stop looking at their bank account and just act like a fan. Like I don't know what the big motivation is. Um, I guess he's asked Sammy to to come clean on some things. He doesn't want to do it, and and they're, neither sides sounds like the labor negotiations between the owners and the players right now. Neither sides coming off their position. Hence, we have a stalemate. We talked to Mickey Morandini earlier in the show, Jesse, and he says that Sosa was a great teammate because Morandini replaced Sandberg that, that year. If you remember, he had to come in to replace Sandberg, which was big shoes to fill over at second base coming from the Phillies. And he said that Sosa was a great teammate and that he not only does he deserve to be back uh, at Wrigley Field, but because he might have been part of the Mitchell Port, but it was never proven that he took steroids, he thinks Sosa should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, look, I get people that are close to him or played with him might feel that way. Jeff Pentland, his hitting coach, was on with Cap saying the same thing, but that's just their opinion. I mean, the re- the rest of us have to vote and trying to be be you know understanding of the era that they played in, while also not giving them an you know the advantage compared to other players who didn't take the starts. I mean, it's a tough thing for Hall of Fame voters. So I've always said, look, I am not going to criticize. Hall of Fame voters. I'm not one yet, and I, I need a couple more years in the business to get there because there are no standards for the Hall of Fame. It's not like you have to achieve this, these stats or be this kind of citizen. It is completely up to the writer. And the reason I'm okay with that is that it's a large group. It's 400-plus people voting. If it was 50 people, it would be a different story. I'd be worried about biases and things like that. But when you have that many people voting, I think you get the right result at the end of the day. Maybe not every single time, but, you know, if enough people are voting one way or another, I think they're – and these people care about their votes. This isn't something they take, uh, you know, for granted, the ability to vote for the Hall of Fame. So if he's not in and his percentage is that low, there's a reason for it. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, so your conversation with Theo Epstein, I thought was uh, was very compelling. Um, is there a key quote in your conversation that really resonated with you? 
Well, I mean, that's a good question. There, there, there were, you know, when he was started talking about looking inward at his own hiring practices, that was interesting. And the thing is, in, 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 in some world, you could say that's lip service. But look, in this day and age and what's going on, that better not be lip service, right? If he's going to examine his own hiring practices, I would assume the result of that examination is going to be hiring more African-Americans in prominent roles. He's never hired a black manager. He said he's only hired a couple of, you know, scouting directors and people like that. Um, so I like the introspection. Now he has to follow it up with action. Uh, so let's see see how this plays out. Now, not tomorrow, not the next day, but but over time. Let's see if, if, if he changes some of his hiring practices and, and, it, and it makes a difference. I mean, uh, the game has, has lost a lot of African-Americans in terms of the players and and that filters up to the front office and filters to the manager's um, uh, seat and all that stuff. So um, I, I like the introspection. Now let's see how how, how in, he follows that up with and, and how the, pra- uh, the hiring practices change. Even if he doesn't hire an African-American like his next hire, but, but what, is he interviewing more? What, what is changing within his practices that, that we can point to progress in that category? I I would just say a more wide ranging topic, Jesse, is to just get more um, to get more black people involved in the game overall. I, I I know Theo's just looking in his own house, but this is also a Manfred issue. Like when you when the the numbers are dwindling of black players in the league, it's just it got to the point where the black people are just going to different sports. Other athletes are going just to do other things. This is a Manfred issue, and I'm glad that Epstein is is kind of talking about it now, but. Really, uh, in order to be able to grow the sport uh, a, a lot better, I just think that you got to bring more people under the tent. Yeah, and you do that by, by starting young. You, mm-hmm. you you start young. I mean, especially with with the landscape, you know, basketball, football, other sports that are out there. You've got to keep growing the sport of baseball at a young age for African Americans. Um, when you consider the numbers. Where they were and where they are now, it's it's really gone down in a major way. Examine why and reinvest in that area. And then, again, that'll trickle upwards, I think, right? Yeah. Um, more Latin American players, you see more Latin American coaches. I mean, the Cubs hired Ricky Renteria almost specifically because he was bilingual. I think the Sox like that as well. That's Latin American but because there's many more Latin American players now. Uh, so, so more players means more in more African Americans in the game, and that'll trickle up. I think. Strong comments you made the other day about Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, and uh, and Clark, uh, Tony Clark. You're looking for new blood on both sides because of all of what we've been dealing with, aren't you? Well, let me say this, and I didn't even say it as clear as I, as I'd like to. And th- no one can push back on this this idea. The uh, the fact is, a month ago, or two months ago, Jonathan. What was the phrase we kept saying? The virus will tell us when we can play. The virus will tell us when we can play. Mm-hmm. And obviously what we mean is the medical people that are watching the virus. So here we are. The virus slash medical people have told baseball they can play. You can start spring training in all these cities. You can start playing games as soon as you're done with spring training. And yet they're not in camp. And they are wasting every single day from here on out. And... Maybe a second wave will come in October. God forbid it does. But that means you may have to move things a little quicker. They can't do that. So here we are where we're allowed to play. I mean, we. We're allowed to watch. We're allowed to play. And it's not happening. And it's not because of the virus. It's because of the labor negotiations. That is shameful on both sides.
No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It just it's, it's, uh, it's really goes to our conversations before, Jesse, that you just continue to damage the game every day that you're not out there. And when we read your reports, Patson's reports, and just trying to figure out how close these two sides are coming, yeah, I expect baseball to happen. But the point is that when it does happen, the damage has already been done. And that's the problem when when I'm here trying to sell the sport, talk about the greatness of numbers and what we can look forward to in the future. And then baseball does this. It's a hard sell, even for me as a baseball fan. And I imagine fans are at the point where, look, I don't want to know how the sausage is made. Okay, just feed it to me. I mean, Bill DeWitt, the St. Louis Cardinals owner, was on uh, St. Louis Radio today, pretty much said exactly what Tom Ricketts said to me last week. It's not a profitable business. We don't have cash. Even to the point where he said people think that Ballpark Village, which is their version of Wrigleyville, makes us a lot of money. That's not the case. We don't make a lot of money off of that. He said the same thing Tom Ricketts said. So either they're coordinating their message or – they really all are broke. The point is, just fans don't want to hear it because you still have a billion dollars, and I don't. And to a player, you still have a million dollars, and I don't. So it has just become crazy. And, you know, if we get into July and these other sports have started their training camps and, and, and baseball is either behind or not in camp, wow, they deserve all the criticism they're going to get. Now I'm one of these guys that thinks we can sometimes get a prisoner of the moment, get all angry and stuff, and I'm never going to watch baseball again. I don't believe that'll be the case. Um, DeWitt did say this on the radio, and I I agree with him. Baseball's had some dark, dark moments, and it's always recovered. Now, football certainly passed it up, and maybe basketball did as well, but it's still a billion-dollar annual, $10 billion annual business. So uh, baseball will always have its place, but it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help matters. It doesn't help getting young fans interested if you have a season like this, fifty games or no season at all. Yeah, just don't tell me you don't have any money, owner. Don't tell me that you don't have money. You got to, there's something in your pocket. You got money to be able to spend. I just I I get tired of that. It started with Ricketts, but now it's starting to permeate throughout some of these owners here. I don't want to hear that, Jess, because the average fan knows if you're an owner, you've got some kind of capital or a way to get it. A way to get it. That's a great point because I don't disagree. I don't I, that, that that the idea that they have hundreds of millions cash on hand. I I don't dis, I, I don't believe in that. I, I think it's a it's a um, it's a minimal margin business. I get that. I get that they they spend a lot on on um, the front office staffs, the analytics, um, all that stuff. Spring training facilities. The Cubs have spent a ton. Renovating, I get all that. I get all that. But what you just said, there's ways to get money in a crisis situation, right? And that way is not to ask the player. It's basically asking the players for some money back. That's what the owners are doing. Like, hey, we can't handle these losses. We need some of your money, your pay. No, 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 no. I have a contract. I'm part of a union. That's the reason I'm part of a union. That's the reason I have a contract. So you can't just take my money unilaterally. So uh, that that's where the disconnect to me is. I, I believe them. They don't have a lot of cash on hand, but I also believe that's not the player's problem. So during this time, you have enough. You have enough time to write a book if you wanted to, Jesse. How about something yeah. on Theo? How about some, something on the? So before he's out of here in a couple of years, well, or maybe less than that. I mean, maybe maybe a book should be coming out. I, that, that, that last thing you said very insightful, and, and I, I mean, I think other people are are seeing the seeing it as well, but. It's not just that his contract's up. I, I, I know Theo, and it's not like he said this to me or anything like that. 
but I, I think he's he's really disheartened by things like this that have gone on, you know. And I, I think there were things in the game that weren't great, you know. They had to do these rule changes. I'm not saying he was against them, but the game has changed, and it's slower, and it's this, and it's that. And, you know, the, the advantage he had for being the smartest guy in the room is minimal now. They changed their draft rules on him. Uh, everyone's got the same – like, I don't even think it's that challenging for him anymore because everyone's got the same information. And then this kind of thing happens. Um, I would be – you know, make this a headline, Jay Hood, on your show. I would be very surprised if Theo's still in baseball past his contract here. I'm talking anywhere in baseball with the slight caveat that if he was an owner, well, you know, that, that's easy enough. You just set up your suite, write checks, and then sell the franchise someday. So – other than ownership, I don't think I don't think Theo's going to be in baseball in two years. Wow, wow! And so his contract, just to be clear, his contract's up in twenty one, correct? Right, he's up when Chris Bryant's up, Javi Baez is up, and all those guys. Good okay. time to be up, I guess. No, I mean, you've you've hinted at this a while that that Epstein's not going to be around for a rebuild, and I and I'm just saying that unless. There's a run that I don't see with the Cubs. I said it at the time. I told you at the time that when Madden was gone, this is going to be somewhat of a reset. Unless there's going to be some kind of magic with Ross where the team is able to flourish with a new voice in there. But I don't I don't think so. I don't yeah, think that I, that's I, what this I, I is. Think they have the one, one chance to flourish. That's over the next 50 games or whatever it's going to be. Well, After that, I think the reset is coming even more so now. Um, remember, they weren't spending a lot. Uh, leading into this season, and now this happens, and here's here's a good to me. This is a good, nice little, a glorified spring training for David Ross. I mean, are you going to be devastated as a baseball fan, Sox or Cubs, if either team doesn't make the playoffs in no. 2020? I mean, we're practically in. We're, I feel like we're going to turn, wake up one day. It's going to be September. We're almost there. You know what I mean? Like, I think this should just be a good training ground for young players and David Ross. And if you get hot as a team, young team, old team. Okay, we'll ride that into October. But part of the lure and romance of baseball is the 162 games. Like, who can survive the marathon and then gel in October? It's going to be different this year. It might be interesting. I don't deny that. Like, I love, I'd love to see John Lester over 15 starts instead of 32. So there will be interest. Like, can a guy hit 450 games? That's fine. I'm all into that. But in general, if, if I can put my fan hat on, I'm not going to be – overly delighted if either team makes the playoffs or overly depressed if, if neither team does. I'm talking about the Cubs or Sox. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we know yeah. what this is. A abbreviated season? I mean, you can't be over the top about it. This is not a full season to evaluate. Whoever wins at the end, wins at the end. It's still going to be an asterisk next to it, and if, if the Cubs or Sox are there at the end, yeah, it's, it's fine. But um, you cannot really make you really can't make any, uh, you know, bold predictions or, yeah. or long term or long term statements about either team on a shortened season. Yeah, I, I want to see the Detroit Tigers in the World Series in 2020. <laughs> just to just to put an exclamation mo- mark on this the mockery of this year, yeah. mostly due to the virus. But I mean, the fact that they're only going to play 50 games is because of the labor negotiation, and that's just that's just weird and sad. I mean, they play 35 in spring training normally, you know? So it's just, like I said, a glorified spring training, really. Tigers-Marlins in the World Series. Marlins win another World Series. How do they do that again? Uh, that <laughs> Anything can happen in this short season. But I, that's a big headline right there, Jess. And so I'll ask you this, this last question. So yeah. in your conversation with Theo, 
was there something in his voice that was a little different? Was it the same Theo or was it a Theo that was more reflected, you know, kind of thinking about his career? What, what, what did you hear from no, Theo? That was I mean, different? I got, I got, I have to punt the question a little bit because he was on a conference call and the, the, the audio, the uh, um, audio was awful. Like okay. the back, there was background, like I could not tell the inflection of his voice. There was background noise and I don't know, some TV person didn't, put their phone on mute so you heard like yeah you know uh, the weather in the background uh i don't know that for sure i'm just taking taking a shot um but so i i couldn't do that that that's a question i'd, I'd have to like have a one-on-one interview with him and really get get deep with him to, to hear it but i just know him i just know him after all these years and he can't yeah he lo- he loves the game I, I mean he can't be the only one disheartened by what's going on here i mean we have two crises crises We have two crises in this country, and baseball can't get its act together. It's terrible. Jesse, I'm glad you spent some time. We'll be reading. you got something coming up uh, tomorrow, right, on ESPN.com? Yeah, it'll probably be. Yes, yeah. um, uh, Mostly about DeWitt and Kipnis on the radio station. uh, Look, we have an owner and we have a player in the last 24 hours saying that this is a done deal, meaning there is no deal. The the commissioner is going to implement something. And what was very interesting on, on Kipnis from on Waddle and Sylvie was what I've been saying for a week or two now. Injuries are going to be a huge storyline for this bastardized season of 50 games. I'm telling you, stars, if they go down, we may never, we may not see them again until 2021. And Mickey Moore and Didi might be at second base for the Cubs when this thing's over because I just worry about a oblique or a hammy and a, definitely an arm for a pitcher. These guys are going to shut down. They're still going to get paid their lousy 25%. But they, they are not, they're not going to risk their future on anything, in my opinion. Jesse, as always, I appreciate your insight. Thank you for your thoughts, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, Jay Hood, have a great evening. Take care. It, it is Jesse Rogers who covers the Cubs and the Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, right around the corner on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Wrestling fans. Are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're going to be mine. Here's Jonathan Hood. This is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, it's WrestlingTWT. Also on YouTube, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Catch up on interviews that you might have missed, conversations you might have missed when it comes to pro wrestling slash sports entertainment. Glad to have you in tonight. We will hear from Alexander Hammerstone. 
the national open weight champion for MLW. MLW's got a special announcement they made earlier today. We'll talk to Hammerstone about that, his career, and more. He's one of the up-and-coming stars in pro wrestling, and so look forward to our conversation with Alexander Hammerstone of MLW. Before we hear from Alexander, let's go to NXT TakeOver, the In Your House car taking place in Orlando, Florida. You know, it's funny. In Your House, I haven't heard that phrase since the 1990s. This was a time where wrestling was not doing very well in the mid-90s, and it was an opportunity for the WWE at the time to be able to put pay-per-views out there for half the price. I believe it was like $14, $15 at the time. And the cards were okay. They were not great. A lot of B-level stars or stars that were emerging that were on In Your House. But I don't remember anyone in my wrestling circle that said, you know what I miss in 2020? I miss In Your House. I miss that concept. <laughs> but it happened as they celebrate the anniversary of uh, In Your House uh, for NXT. So, I watched this show on the WWE Network, and I'll go right to the main event, in which I thought was the main event, and that was for the NXT Women's Championship. A Charlotte Flair, the champion, took on Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai. My question is, is that do championships even matter in wrestling? There was a time where wrestling championships and the reign of those champions did matter. Charlotte Flair defeats Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania for the NXT Championship. And Rhea Ripley's 22, 23 years of age. Charlotte Flair, the daughter of Ric Flair, is um, a consummate pro. She definitely, if she walked away from the sport, she definitely would be a Hall of Famer. But I didn't even understand why she was the NXT Champion. The only thing that I could see is is that she could be champion and then she could be able to have really good to great matches with some of these younger stars and build them up to a level, and then Flair would be defeated. That's not the case, though. I mean, WrestleMania was just a few months ago. It was in April, and Charlotte Flair was a champion, and then Io Shirai wins the title uh, on this In Your House show, and I'm thinking, Io Shirai, she's a champion now? Not Rhea Ripley, in which... It was question marks even if Rhea Ripley should have lost the title to Charlotte Flair. And so my thought is is that Charlotte Flair's had, what, eight, nine, ten different championships already. She hasn't even hit her stride just as of yet as a wrestler, as a performer in the WWE. So what is the point of all this? <laughs> like, when someone becomes a champion, does it even matter anymore in 2020? When I start seeing John Cena win a championship seemingly every other month to the point where he was like a 15-time WWE champion, I thought, okay, if you're moving the title around like a hot potato, then why does it matter when someone wins a championship? It really doesn't matter. Some of these championships are ice cold. And so now Io Shirai is the NXT Women's Champion. Good match. I just don't understand why Charlotte had to lose and why Rhea Ripley could not win in that matchup. Um, I noticed that uh, Finn Balor had a really good matchup with Damian Priest. Um, that was a, a solid matchup uh, to see T- Tommaso Ciampa take on Karrion Cross. Cross is a newcomer to NXT. I thought that in his NXT Takeover debut, Cross was dominant and he took apart Ciampa. It was one of these matches where you wasn't sure exactly which way it would go, but the way Ciampa was just disassembled uh, and taken apart 
by Karrion Cross. That was pretty special. I, I think that that's how you build stars. Karrion Cross beat somebody. He beat one of the biggest stars in NXT and Champa in a convincing fashion. I uh, saw the North American Championship with Keith Lee defeating Johnny Gargano. Again, Keith Lee comes in, I think, in some ways the underdog, even though he was the champion, because Johnny Gargano really is a heartbeat of that brand, the NXT brand, and Keith Lee beat somebody. Uh, he beat Johnny Gargano right there in the ring, so that was a terrific matchup in itself. And there was a couple other matches that I look at, but I think we can consider 2020 the cinematic era of pro wrestling. Because if it's not AEW, it's a WWE, NXT, if you can make your match out of some kind of major motion picture, I I guess that's the thing now. Because watching Adam Cole defend his NXT championship against Velveteen Dream, (laughs) watching this, just like, this is a match where it was a backlot brawl. So let me paint the picture. So a bunch of cars that are outside around a ring that's set up. And so, again, it takes place outside, and it's shot like it's some kind of mini-movie where there's like five or six different cameras there, and it wasn't just the standard matchup. There was a backlot brawl, and Adam Cole ends up defeating Velveteen Dream, and now Dream will never have an NXT uh, heavyweight championship match as long as Cole is a champion. Adam Cole is one of the best wrestlers in all of of WWE, definitely of NXT because he's had the championship for well over a year now. But the point is, like, it's almost like wrestling has run out of ideas. In that, if you have to have these movies like Undertaker and AJ Styles WrestleMania, or you're going to have the the Stadium Stampede match in AEW, where you have five on five and the people are wrestling all over the Jaguar Stadium, it's just very strange to me. Where. Everything now has to be in a cinematic way. The wrestling has always been off the wall. They've always had terrific angles and things like that. But it's interesting now that we watch wrestling. And Adam Cole has to take on Velveteen Dream in a backlot brawl match. It's a, a borrowed idea from years past. But it's just the match was... I can't even call it a match, it was just a happening, because it wasn't like all the action took place in the ring. It's just, uh, to me, it's just like... Instead of just being able to have a live event, a live match, and have a good match in the ring, now you've got to have bells and whistles, and you have to have a director saying cut, and all these different things, and these wrestlers doing their own stunts. It's um, it's, it's just very strange right now, uh, the era that we're in. Maybe because it's COVID-19, and you just can't have in-ring matches, uh, big matches in, in ring anymore, but... Um, to me, I still believe that even during this time where there are no fans, you can still be able to tell a story in the ring. And Cole and, and Dream, I mean, they battled their ass off. It was just weird to watch now a number of these big matches taking place where you could tell that these have just been heavily edited just for our enjoyment. Coming up on TWT, we will hear from Alexander Hammerstone. We will hear from the champion. A terrific, really up-and-coming wrestler for MLW. The middle uh, openweight champion will uh, join us coming up next right here on TWT. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000.
Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us. And we are pleased to be joined by MLW National uh, Openweight Champion Alexander Hammerstone. MLW, as you know, Court Bauer's been on this show many times. Very happy with MLW. Cannot wait till MLW returns to Chicago in that hot crowd at Cicero Stadium. And Alexander joins us here on ESPN 1000. Alexander, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. How's life for you right now? Oh man, uh, I gotta say it's a. I mean, just like everyone else, it's uh, it's been an adjustment. It's different. Uh, every day is a little bit uh, strange, but uh, all in all, I can't complain. I'm just uh, itching to get back to wrestling. What does it mean to you, Alex, to be at the top of your profession as the national openweight champion for over a year? So a lot of us. You can uh, you can be able to accomplish something for a little bit, a few months, maybe a, a you know a few uh, here and there. But you're at the top of your profession. What does that mean to you to hold that championship for so long? I mean, it means it means everything to me. Uh, it's it's got to be probably my proudest uh, achievement in all pro wrestling, and uh, it's one of those things like you know you bring up it's it's been a year and. I feel like I just won it, but then at the same time, when I look back, I realize all the things I've got to do uh, while being champion. Um, but I mean, it's it's it means everything. Uh, you know, this is a sport where we're always trying to get a little bit higher, climb to the top of the mountain, and then once you get there, the goal is to stay there and you know to, to set the standard and hopefully um, make this a championship that has a, a good lineage and a good history. And you know, five ten years from now, people are talking about it because. I set the standard uh, with the first ring. Alexander Hammerstone from MLW on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So I want to get your thoughts on the state of MLW right now. As I mentioned, every time you, you come to Chicago, you guys are selling out. And I told Bauer the last time you guys were here, uh, one of the last times you were here, it was Cubs versus Sox weekend, which is huge. You know, like for two baseball rivalries now, source uh, the south side and the north side going back and forth, and you guys sold out that day, that Saturday, and I was like, wow. Like you, I told Bauer, I say, I, I don't know if you guys understand like how big that is, how busy the city is, but yet people came to see your show. So, what are your thoughts on where MLW is going right now? I mean, I'm really excited for it. Um, I'm really happy to be part of, you know, a company that's on the rise and, and continually growing and just taking those steps uh, to continue like an upward uh, trajectory. But I think it really speaks to, to Court and his vision because, um, you know, he, he's got this vision of what he wants to put out there uh, wrestling-wise, and, and you find a lot of like-minded uh, wrestlers, a lot of like-minded writers, talent, et cetera. And uh, he really doesn't compromise. He, w- he really doesn't budge. You know, sometimes um, there's people who are, you know, will stand up and say, you should do this, you should do that. But it's, it's MLW is unapologetically MLW. And uh, it's really cool to be part of a, a wrestling brand that's, you know, undoubtedly providing something different, providing, you know, an alternative in a lot of ways to a lot of the other pro- uh, products out there. So, you know, I'm excited because, like you said, you know, we're able to go into these towns. We're able to sell out. We have a hardcore, diehard fan base. And uh, I I think it's just going to keep continuing to grow. I told Court to give you all the money, literally just give you all the money. So, I mean, I don't I don't know if how much money he's given you with the new deal, but I told him it's like if you're going to give somebody the money, give Hammerstone all the money. And he hasn't returned <laughs> my calls since, so 
<laughs> well, it's probably because he had to shut off his phone bill because uh, he did end up giving me, in fact, all of the money. <laughs> I told him, I said, give Hammerstone all the money and lock him up for as long as possible because that is the that's the guy. Working with, with Holiday and MJF, what was it like to be able to be part of that, that trio? Because, you know, one of the things that wrestling has been founded on is, is factions. And you guys really were able to set the, the world on fire because you guys are so unique together. What was that like? Oh, man. It's uh, looking back, going to definitely be one of the fondest uh, parts of my entire career. Uh, going to be something I never forget. Uh, it definitely, man, like it, it exploded into something uh, way cooler than I think any of the three of us anticipated. Um, just, you know, being three fully capable individuals, um, we knew we could make it work, but we didn't know to what degree it was going to take off and, you know, become something of its own. So it, it was so cool, so fun, uh, such a learning experience in so many ways, especially for a guy like me, just because, you know, I am you know, pretty selfish when it comes to the attention. I want to reach out and grab the brass ring, break the glass ceiling and all the other cliches. I want the most attention. So to be told, hey, you're going to be put in a faction was kind of like a, you know, a WTF moment. I was like, well, I don't know if I want to be doing this. But (laughs) as soon as we got the ball rolling, it was clear that it was like such a good idea, you know, so natural, the chemistry really just evolved, you know, so quickly, almost overnight, and uh, provided so many cool memories for MLW. And it's, it's fun to go and watch, like, the birth of, you know, our catchphrases and all these moments that now people still reference. And uh, it all started with the dynasty. Alex Hammerstone from MLW, the national openweight champion, with Jonathan Hood on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. You've accomplished a lot already in your career, Alex, but what was it like when you were able to finally perfect the Hulk Hogan 91 tan? <laughs> you know, uh, as much as I appreciate that compliment, I still don't know if I have perfected the 91 tan. It's uh, <laughs> it's really that you know evasive... Uh, all-encompassing goal right so we're always chasing it you could always be a little bronzer a little deeper color a little more sheen on the shine you know what i'm talking about so i can't say can't say i've mastered it i can say i've uh, i'm coming close and every day i strive to be that much better when it comes to the hogan tent i mean the the, but there's something unique and for those that have not I don't know what we're talking about. Just go to Google Images and just look up. Just put in ninety-one Hulk Hogan. There's something <laughs> about his. There's something about that skin tone that's so unique. Like, listen, you, know, you guys, you guys tan all the time. I mean, uh, you know, you know, the old wrestlers going to the the tanning bed and being there for hours and hours and hours and hours, and not even working out. They just work on the tan. But there's something odd about the hue of of Hogan's skin in ninety-one. Can you explain what that is? I mean, so the, the thing nowadays is we've uh, we've come a long way with tanning technology. We've learned how to filter out the harmful rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then, it was just straight-up skin damage. <laughs> Not only that, you know, today the, the spray tan is very prominent. So you get these, these bronze, this gold. It's a very beautiful color. But back then, it was just a sign of extreme willingness to damage your skin unapologetically. And that's why you end up with Hulk Hogan looking like a burnt gas station hot dog. And it's just a, a hue of its own. I just, 
I mean, it's a distraction to me because it's like slaughters toward the end of his career, but yet he's still like the you know the WWF champion at the time, and he's taking on Hogan is back and forth, and all I can see is just like Hogan with this odd tan during that time in '91. Just I don't I don't know. Just like I I never seen anything like it. Quite frankly, so. it's it's its own thing. It's its own cultural phenomenon, and I'm glad to be bringing attention back to such an important time in history. <laughs> Is there someone, Alex, that you've uh, admired in the business when you were growing up? Um, I mean, there's uh, a handful of people. Um, I think obviously, just from you know the type of image I present, I was always obsessed with the like physically larger than life guys, you know. Um, Triple H and the Attitude just era, just with his hulking physique, was just like wow. It's like the guys that look like superheroes, and then you know, as I got a little bit older, looking at guys like Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle, guys that were just super physical with their styles. Like I always loved, like I always loved the showmanship. You know the the pageantry of pro wrestling um, when I first started watching, but as I grew a little bit older the guys who just brought this super physical style, the super aggression to the ring and, and just really like, you know, kind of like made you take a step back and go, man, like I, I wouldn't want to get in there with that guy. Like those, those guys really captured my attention. Uh, I, I see that, um, that you have some, like some, some trunks that you're giving away to people. Are you, you selling those things or are you just give them away? Some of your custom design, uh, Hammerstone trunks. I'm selling them, um, and the, the the thing is just basically, you know, as I've evolved through my pro wrestling career, I've gone through a plethora of different, you know, styles and images and things, you know, characters I was trying to present, and basically when I joined with MLW, I kind of cut ties with all that. I kind of, you know, said, like, I'm going to stop trying to play this character, act like this guy, you know, so... But at the same time, that left me with, you know, a lot of tights and, you know, stuff that a lot of people see as memorabilia and, you know, a little chapter of the history of my career. So all those, uh, all those little snippets of history from the Hammerstone of yesteryear are now available for purchase for a limited time because we're, we're running low on stock now. <laughs> Just a couple okay. left. I see also on MLWshop.com you've got your summer uh, Hammerstone Tour t-shirt. These things are going to be a collector's item for for a while here. People are going to be wearing these for like the next ten or twenty years uh, while you're still in the business. So I see that this shirt it, does it come just in green or is it different colors? Um, so so um, when you go through the MLW Shop website, you're able to select uh, all different colors, all different styles, whether it's V-neck, tank top, muscle shirt. So it's really cool. But the the standard issue one is that bright neon green, which you know was was really cool because I think it like having like a summer themed t-shirt with like the beach party it would be lame if it was just another plain black wrestling t-shirt but if that's your thing you can still get it in plain black no we can't we can't do this i think it's up to you to make the wrestling fan evolve man i think it's up to you hammerstone because i mean the the black and white t-shirt is just so just lame now i mean i go to ufc shows and people still wear like nwo and dx stuff i'm like oh that's where the rest some of the wrestling fans went (laughs) they're they're the stands at ufc like still wear that stuff but it's up to you to to bring the color back into wrestling I feel that, and uh, I always, uh, I'm always blown away because you know, I, I of course, you know, release, you know, my own T-shirts, but then through MLW they release the Hammerstone T-shirts as well, and I'm always blown away at how 
cool and creative they're able to get with these designs and they'll take a catchphrase and they just run with it and make a whole shirt out of it and it's always awesome like i'm never let down and you know we work together very intimately on the process and like i'm always just like blown away by how cool the t-shirts that are coming out uh that they're able to make so i'm always really happy with them Alex, there's always someone that has a story of when they started working out and felt like I could do something more with my body. Was there someone that influenced you to do that? Or when did you begin saying, okay, I can start working my body and I could really be able to do this well? Um, so it's kind of funny because um, it, it almost sounds made up. But, um, I, you know, like I said, I was kind of like obsessed with the big physiques from a very young age. So on and off through my early teens, I would kind of – lift weights a little bit but i never thought like of trying to be a big muscular guy just it just didn't seem reasonable or feasible or realistic so i was mostly just kind of trying to like get a six pack i was doing a lot of running uh and then just some weights here and there in my house um and that trend kind of continued as i got older and older and older um and then when i saw the movie 300 it it, that (laughs) that kind of changed my perspective because like I was watching this movie in the theaters and I was like, holy crap, like, that's so cool. I want to look like those guys. And I just remember, like, I I was already working out, but then I just went, you know what? What if I just started eating as much food as I could? (laughs) And um, being that I was about 17 years old and had a fast metabolism, um, pretty much everything I ate just started turning into muscle. And, you know, I I got obsessed almost overnight with the idea of just getting as big and muscular as I could. here we are 10, 12 years later, and I'm still equally obsessed. That, that's good. No, obsession. You know what? Some people say obsession's uh, bad. It's a good thing, Alex, because look at you. Look at you. All, yeah, all you're I missing mean, is a 91 tan. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's all about how, you, uh, how you're able to aim that obsession. Yeah, oh, very, actually, very well said. I continue to read through MLW some big news, and it's just typical Court Bauer, always teasing stuff, and like, here comes this wrestler in, here comes this event and all this stuff. What, what's, this, what's this big news that uh, just continues to permeate my social media about MLW? What's your big news? Can you give us a glimpse of what's going on there? Oh, well, um, I think the news actually just dropped today that um, – we're going to be available on a new platform. It's the DAZN network. I'm not exactly sure if that's oh. pronounced Dazon or yeah, the zone. Yeah, but it's pretty much it's like the Netflix of sports. You know, they have boxing, they have all kinds of different fight um, networks, basically all in one location. And we have what, like something like eight million subscribers to the network. So it's just. Um, a whole new avenue that we're going to be displaying MLW on. And this isn't canceling the deal with BN Sports. This is in addition to that. So it's just a whole new um, avenue that people are going to be able to see MLW on, going to reach new eyes in new countries. And it's just like I always say, Court, um, Court does a good job of making the right moves at the right times, taking it step by step by step. He never jumps in the deep end and drowns. He makes calculated decisions, and this is just – you know, the next example of, of a, a move that's going to get MLW new markets, new homes, new eyes on the product. And I'm excited for what it means for the, the company, especially once we get back to business and back to wrestling. Okay, that is a huge deal. I mean, I'm, I'm in media, so let me just 
let me just smarten you up on this, Alex. That is huge <laughs> to be on the zone. That's that's good stuff because now it's taking. First of all, your your programming is across the country and around the world, but now being on the zone, that's a whole different kettle of fish. That's a big platform for MLW. So congratulations on that. So now more and more people can see your greatness. Yeah, it's exactly. It's 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 one of those things that like it's always fun because um, as much as court teases you know the general public he does the same thing with the athletes a lot of time so we're sitting there reading the tweets just like everybody else wondering what it was and then when he released it you know and i got to reading about this network and this you know what this means for the company it was just like such a cool moment and such a pretty much like it just got me that much more excited you know to get back to back to doing what we do I mean, I mean, I'm sure Tom Lawler or the Von Ericks or Davy Boy Smith Jr. and or Mance Warner thinks it's big for them, but really, it's really big for the National Openweight Champion. Let's let's just put it out there. I mean, I'm sure they think, oh, we're going to be on the zone. No, actually, this is your network now, Alex. All right, that's. You and me, we we're, we're thinking we're on the same wavelength. I like the way you think. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I mean, all these other guys feel like, oh, we're, we are going to be bigger now. No, no, that's it's actually Hammerstone's network now. So let's let's slow it down here. You know, so that's. I hope uh, Jacob Fatu's not listening because he's dangerous. Uh, as we talk to <laughs> Alexander Hammerstone with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN Chicago app on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Is there someone that you want to face, Alex, in twenty twenty that you have never faced? before oh well i mean i think you just uh i think you just kind of um foreshadowed it by saying you know you hope jacob fatu's not listening because i hope he is listening because not that i've never faced him but i've never faced him in mlw i've never faced him in a major league wrestling ring and it's been years since our paths have crossed um Earlier in our careers, we you know we got to lock horns, and then we kind of went our separate ways. We kept growing as wrestlers, and then, you know, by the the crazy way the world works, we both ended up in major league wrestling, and uh, we somehow managed to stay off each other's paths, stay out of each other's way. But you know, the the water's getting to the boiling point with uh, with me, you know, basically being the number one contender for the world heavyweight championship for months now. And I'm just I'm thinking uh, there's not much that's going to get in my way of stopping me from getting that match uh, with Jacob Fatu. That uh, that's got to be here in Chicago, hopefully, <laughs> because because <laughs> there's a sense of danger when the when Contra's out there. I'm always looking over my shoulder because the music hits and you're like, where are they coming from? Because you don't see them right away, and it's like. Okay, let me let me check the, all the exits. Make sure I know where to go because those guys. But that should be a hell of a match. Hopefully, the court could book it here. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is one of our hot, hottest marketplaces. Like you said, it's always a sellout. The fans are extra wild there. Um, and I not only do I hope it's you know in Chicago or at least a market that can give us that same energy, but I hope uh, I hope it's on a return to pay per view. Yes, absolutely. Uh, lastly, and I appreciate your time, Alex. I just want to find out what's it like wrestling in Mexico and the differences uh, wrestling in the states and in Mexico. So I, I've seen your your videos of you play, uh, being able to perform in Mexico, and it's like, wow, the the crowd gives you a lot of energy, and I just enjoy watching you on some of these other platforms along with MLW. Um, well, the crowd they do give you a lot of energy. That's that that is true. But uh, they give you a lot of other stuff, too. You know, I think the first time we were in Mexico, 
I had to worry because uh, I handed my jacket off to MJF, and next thing you know, somebody in the crowd had swiped it, and it was making its way through the aisles, and we were very quickly able to get it back. But there's that to worry about. There's fans throwing beer at you. There's fans, you know, swearing obscenities at you. It gets really wild. But at the end of the day, it's crowd energy. It's crowd interaction. It's another tool to play with. Um, so I don't know if it's my favorite place in the world to wrestle just because there's that almost that sense of danger, that sense of, you know, if you rile these people up too much, you know, you're on the verge of a uh, of potential riot. But it's uh, that's a fun tightrope to walk. It's a fun uh, it's a fun energy to play with. It's a fun dynamic to play with. And you know what? Like, also, the pharmacies in Mexico are just, they're great. They're just <laughs> something else about those pharmacies. I, I really love, got to put that over. <laughs> Again, with that, yes, I've seen this on the show, so I know exactly what you mean. Um, so, uh, Alex, uh, yeah, and by the way, you're right. The The crowds there in Mexico, it's, uh, it, it's, it's special to them. And it, because you guys um, do your shows here in Chicago, it's in Cicero at the Cicero Stadium, and... Uh, when you come out or when Fatu comes out, even Myron Reed, a lot of guys are hitting the rail. A lot of fans are hitting the rail. They they want to get in there a little close. So it's uh, it gets a little hot <laughs> for, for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. an understatement. Yeah, there's no question. It gets very hot. So I, I'm glad you spent some time with us here in Chicago. Looking forward to uh, getting back to some normalcy when we can be able to come to arenas and see MLW again. But the big news that Alex has dropped on us is that MLW is coming to the Zone, which is a huge platform along with BN Sports um, and on YouTube. So it just add another log on the fire to what is uh, MLW. So I'm glad you spent some time, Champ, and I'm so glad um, that things are working out well for you. Hold on to that championship. I look forward to seeing you in the ring again. Hell yeah, thanks. It was a fun experience. I had a great time talking to you, brother. Thank you. It's uh, Alex Hammerstone, the national openweight champion for well over a year now with us here as MLW breaks the news here that they are going to be on the zone, which is going to be great for 2020 and beyond for Court Bowers Major League Wrestling. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Chicago's home for sports is on Twitch. See what we're up to. to. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago today. Full show tomorrow between 7 and 10 right here on ESPN 1000. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Jesse Rogers and Andre Snellings and Mickey Morandini and Alex Hammerstone. Show produced by Sean Davis. Check in tomorrow to listen to Under the Hood at 7 o'clock with Jonathan Hood. State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio. This is WMVP Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.